Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everyone. It's V, the Grill Economist, coming to you live on this edition. It's a special edition because we got London Paul with us on Rogue Money Morning. We've got a lot to talk about, a lot of things to get into. Historical, historical events are happening or have transpired. And the events of yesterday, the meeting in Helsinki, folks, that is going to be a geopolitical windfall. And the events that are going to occur uh, from t- from yesterday onwards is yet to be seen. So with a lot of that going on, guys, I mean, we're going to have London Paul. Uh, he's going to break it down for us. Before we do that, also, guys, uh, just check out our sponsors real quick. TheCryptoSchool.io, TheCryptoSchool.io. Just learn how to trade or you want to learn uh, about cryptos. You have the video education series as well. More importantly, you, you know, you've been through the video education series. You want to learn how to trade and make some money. Uh, well, you know what? There's a way to do that. The, click the Watch Us Trade Room over there on the RemainComSchool.io. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, the cryptoschool.io, and uh, you can go ahead and start trading real quick. Also, we have our liquidation platform, which is liquidbase.io, and uh, most importantly, also, guys, check out mycbdedibles.com, mycbdedibles.com, all sorts of deliciousness shipped in 50 states, 100% CBD isolates, folks. You can't beat it. You can't join if you, you, you can't beat it. So, join it, get some CBD coffee, some um, chocolate peanut butter. Um, uh, Buckeyes, some of the uh, pecan uh, coconut truffles. I mean, it is all sorts of yumminess. Uh, with that being said, London Paul, what's going on, buddy? Well, good morning, V, and good morning, afternoon, and evening to any everyone and anyone wherever they may be listening. So, and how are you? And oh yeah, happy birthday as well, by <laughs> the way. Uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you. Uh, I'm doing great, man. I I feel. Uh... I'm feeling achy this morning. I think the the, the onset of uh, of uh, getting closer to middle aged. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, apart from that, I'm good, Paul. I, I'm excited about this whole Helsinki, mo- uh, uh, you know, meeting. I was watching the presser right afterwards. Uh, it was great. It was great watching two men who are literally bringing peace to the earth at this point. Yeah, I mean, I I I think what it proves quite sort of eloquently is that there's certainly an understanding between Trump and Putin. What I would say is there isn't some, you know, there's all this idea there's this grand deal between them and grand plan and there isn't. And that's not in any way to diminish Trump's, what he's doing, what he's trying to do, and certainly not from Putin's or Russia's perspective. The problem, and we've said it before, but it's worth reiterating, is that The Russians and the Chinese will go, well, okay, we understand exactly what Trump's trying to do. We want to work with him. Okay, the Chinese have got a bit angry regarding the trade um, sort of tariffs Mm -hmm. and the trade war, but we'll we'll park that for now. With respect to Russia, I think certainly Putin has respect for Trump, and he said as much that Trump, you know, sat and listened to what was said to him. Okay, there's there's still a lot of fundamental disagreements on certain things, but 
The one yeah. thing is that from the Russian perspective is they go, well, Trump might be out of office in two years. Okay. I think if he stands and he's, I think he'll do two terms. I think he's probably likely to win, but there's no guarantees. I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen that could derail that process. So from their perspective, they're going to sit there and go, well, look, it's great. Trump's there. He, he wants to change the entire sort of us russian relations in a very positive way but if he's out of office in two years what the hell are we going to deal with and therefore on that basis they're going to be a little bit guarded in how they approach things simply because you know as much as trump's president he's still got a huge amount of problems in dealing with the congress the senate and it is not about dealing with democrats it's dealing with everything i mean you call it the swamp call it the cabal call it the deep state it's infesting every political party and every institution that the Trump administration has to deal with. It's not just about dealing with the Democrats. So that has that clearly factors into from the Russian perspective. But there's no doubt. I think the there's from the Russian perspective, they see that that you know the first major steps have been taken on a long journey, and of course, every journey begins with those first few steps. I think. There's a lot of encouragement that you know that progress can now be made going forward, and really, I there's no doubt. We've said it before many times that the Russian intelligence services know everything. I mean, this is not the first. We've said this countless times in the last what year and a half or so, and they most certainly do. This is not in any way saying that other intelligence agencies don't possess intelligence. They do, but there's no doubt that. Uh, the Russians do, and I think it's partly explains why we've seen this. These, you know, usual suspects and questionable characters foaming at the mouth because they're now terrified of of what Russian intelligence now told uh, Trump. I think there's a lot of idea that Trump had been told everything, and you know, beforehand. No, I, th I think yesterday was a was a huge watershed moment for. For many reasons and but it gives the whole uh, trump well trump a lot more impetus to try and say well okay i you know we we've now got some capability to move forward what there's a lot of talk about that trump would try to leverage the russian chinese relationship which he would never do because trump knows exactly how strong the chinese russian relationship is he wouldn't insult either leader and he knows full well it'd be a hugely retrograde step so that is never going to be a reality. <laughs> he worked, He knows perfectly well these that uh, the Chinese and the Russians have the relationship of it. You know, it's up to the U.S. to build strong relations with both nations. Now, we can park China for now because it's not relevant to the, the the conversation. But certainly, with respect to Russia, there is possibilities that you know, that they can now move forward. I think. Some of the foreign policy decisions with regards to Syria, with regards to Ukraine, North Korea, etc., that is going to take some some doing to try and change the viewpoint of the U.S. I mean, Iran's a great example of that, where the, the Russians and the U.S., well, Putin and Trump couldn't, couldn't be any further apart in terms of their understanding of the situation there how they perceive the, the JCPOA and how they perceive the Iranian uh, government and how they perceive the future in terms of Iran's integration into effectively the Eurasian uh, you know, Silk Road, etc. So 
that they are their problems but i think initially you're not going to solve all those overnight uh, what will change trump's viewpoint on iran is largely something he has to deal with internally because the one thing the russians never do is interfere in the internal goings on in nations they will walk away from that they will try to 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 discuss things with trump and explain from their perspective how things are but that's up to the uh, Trump and his administration to change their perspective on things. But certainly there is the one thing that I think would be hugely beneficial to, to both nations is at some point, and this is going to be extremely difficult, is the US, and it's not making striking deals with, with the Russians, but to walk away from sanctions and go, look, we know sanctions don't work. In fact, Russia doesn't care whether the sanctions get removed or not. But symbolically, it will be a huge step in the right direction. And for the US and, and the Russians to pull their resources and capabilities and start to work together in economic ways that will benefit both nations, that's going to be hugely beneficial to the US. And it will give Trump on the world stage enormous credibility. Because I think there's a lot of people who are looking at Trump going, well, OK, you know, he's not like any other previous president. That's because he's not a president. But, you know, we, we kind of like what he's saying, but we're not entirely sure about him. But, but the trouble Trump's got is, I mean, he, he meets Putin and, and there's all these people foaming at the mouth. What's going to happen when he starts to make policy decisions that uh, may be seen to be, well, hang on, he wants to remove sanctions. He wants to do, you know, some economic initiatives or whatever it might be with, with Russia. Then it's just going to add to these people foaming at the mouth. But but what is what is absolutely certain, I think, it's not so much what happened yesterday, although it's it's very symbolic, but I think in history, we'll look back in a year, two years, five years, 10 years, and look back to that moment that it really was a watershed moment where relations between the two nations are gonna to start to become more and more normalized, but it will take a period of time uh, to, to change viewpoints on both sides. And But ultimately, there'll be a meeting of minds and it is the process is now underway and and i think we'll see more and more cooperation between the nations other than what we've i mean we've spoken about it for a long time that the military cooperate on let on in ways that most people aren't aware of and they and that was admitted yesterday by both of them that yeah you know the military actually works a lot better together than than our politicians do and and both sides recognize that and that's always been the case and it's hugely important it's it remains the case because it's the whole sole reason why we all go to bed at night and wake up in the morning and the world's more or less the same and some horrendous things haven't happened it's right and it's because of that military cooperation so yes i i think there's a lot of reason to be positive about the future but again we just have to be realistic it's not an overnight sensation it's not suddenly you know we're going to see a thousand heads roll in the US, but but there's certainly a lot of cabal deep state operatives now who are very, very, very nervous after yesterday. And and the and the obvious question is they can't be nervous about something that uh in a general sense, because it's not like the the meetings suddenly mean that the world's gonna flip on its axis and we're gonna have World War Three. It's quite the contrary, as you say, it's it's a realization that we can actually have bona fide peace for the first time in and and not that there was ever going to be a war between the us and the russians that was never the case but we can actually 
see that there's tangible changes in terms of a peace initiative. Now, everyone there's no there's no one in the world who's who doesn't want to see that happening unless you've got a vested interest to to ensure that this status quo of cabal deep state activities continue and those who want that are now terrified and they're also terrified from their own perspective because they've got no idea what discussions were had between trump and putin yeah <clears throat> absolutely you know one of the things that uh needs to be discussed there and probably detail for us this whole fixation on iran this whole you know we'll, we'll get out of syria as soon as iran gets out of syria what do you think the uh, the apart from the obvious uh, Zionist overtones over there with the with the Israel lobby? What do you think uh, the grander strategic play is that's going to perhaps neutralize this bigger problem from from cascading? Well, it is true that there's no doubt that the the Trump administration is has too much neocon influence. Now, I'm not suggesting. I think. They basically uh, kneecapped the, the neocons to do with North Korea. I think to a large extent, Trump did that uh, yesterday. I mean, what sort of seems to be coming clear is that Trump demanded a one-on-one meeting uh, with Putin simply to bypass people who try and interfere, sidestep him, try and shout him down. He just wanted a straightforward conversation. So. Trump knows he's got problems, but knowing you've got problems and how you deal with it is an entirely different matter. I would say, I think, unfortunately, he's very blinded to do with Israel, uh, to do with Iran. I, I genuinely think he thinks Iran's this rogue state that goes around trying to commit acts of terrorism and they have to be dealt with. And, and you can see there's their poles apart in terms of, of uh, Iran's policy going forward. Now, of course, the argument is that if the, by the U.S. doing, you know, walking away from the JCPOA, in a sense, they're isolating themselves. And this is driving sort of the EU. And we've said all this before. This is not new stuff, but it's clearly self-evident that the EU is going to go more and more move towards Russia and China. But this is all part of the broader picture of how the world's going to unfold in a post-cabal world. So in a way, Trump's doing... He's really taking the wrecking ball to the cabal, ironically, by in terms of from the U.S. perspective, by walking away from Iran. Now, the question is, is he aware that he's actually doing this or is it just a byproduct of their actions? But there's no doubt. Whatever anyone says, there is nothing wrong with the JCPOA agreement. There is because you wouldn't have Russia and China insistent that it remains in place and they go into every length possible to keep the Iranians in it, as are the European Union. And they're not doing that because I mean, there's, I've had people saying to me, oh, it's because there's still all these backhanders are getting paid. There is no backhanders getting paid. No. There's no evidence to suggest that happened. I'm not saying it didn't, but it doesn't detract from the fact that there's some strange um, you know, deals going on on the sidelines of this. That's a separate issue. But the JCPOA itself, there isn't a problem with it. And the fact is that from my basis that Russia and China want to keep it in place is good enough for me that, it's, that there is very good reason to do that. The, the problem you have is, is that how do you change the mindset of, of the Trump administration? While undoubtedly there's, there's neocon Zionist influences that are certainly coming to, to bear. I, I think that's something from the Russian perspective, they're going to sit there and go, well, do you know what? It doesn't really matter at this point. 
let you know you have to get the low hanging fruit first to to coin a cliche but that's all you can actually do in terms of uh resolving and and developing relations eventually these things will change i have no doubt that the middle east will change significantly in the future and at some point there will be a recognition from the us side that they're going to have to deal with iran in a very different manner because it's clearly self-evident that china and russia are doing everything to stabilize the iranian economy and there's no doubt i don't have any doubt in my mind that with respect to iran there was comments made yesterday from the russian side of are you aware who's actually meddling in russia trying to promote regime change doesn't mean that from the trump side that they believe this or they'll acknowledge it but i don't doubt there's those kind of conversations being had but it is a very problematic difficult matter to deal with as is the issue of ukraine i mean there was a lot of talk about well you know there might be some deal whereby um that the US all canceled sanctions against Russia provided um, the Iranians leave um, Syria well that's never going to happen i mean if if Iran leaves Syria it's because Assad says look we don't need you anymore you know, you've served your purpose you've helped us thanks very much and that's always been the agreement between Tehran and Damascus but the situation is if Trump just tomorrow said right we're going to you know as of this date we're going to revoke sanctions against Russia. We're going to lift them, and that's the end of it. The backlash is going to be enormous because you have to think of the consequences of what that means in terms of Ukraine. Well, immediately, it all it's going to do is everyone's going to turn around and say, "Well, hang on a minute. What, how, how does where does Ukraine fit in this now? Because it's pretty self-evident that the whole basis of putting uh, the sanctions is because apparently the Russians are meddling in ukraine and it relates to crimea and the fact that you know, according to the, re the rest of the world well the western world crimea was annexed when it wasn't it was clearly a referendum that was conducted completely legally and the the vast majority of crimeans said we want to be part of russia and they didn't seem to have a problem with the old kosovan independence from serbia and that just proves the hypocrisy of everything but that's a separate matter but i think clearly it it raises a series of of problems that associated with what happens next in Ukraine as a result of this. And this is why it's very easy to just say, let's do something, even if there's huge political will on both sides to make things happen. There are unintended consequences that can, you know, unleash a whole shitstorm somewhere else. And I think removing the sanctions would create a shitstorm in Ukraine and the, and the, and then the backlash of that could be enormous. And bearing in mind, you know, as much as we understand the reality of what goes on in Ukraine, it, and as bad as things are, it could be a hundred times worse. And who's going to suffer? while well, the people are going to suffer, and and then there's going to be this huge, enormous fallout as a result of that. And the same goes for Syria. I mean, largely we know Syria's essentially once the Aleppo fell, that was the end of the Syrian war. But yeah, it's not over till it's over, and largely we're now at the point where southern Syria is now in control well the Assad uh, government and forces are in control there's only the north of Syria left um, to to deal with and then there was all this these rumors that the US has said well if the Iranians leave Syria you know we'll leave Syria as well and that's that's part of what we said a long time ago that the Trump administration will look for a way to get out of Syria without losing face and people say well why do they have to do that but th that's how the world operates as 
the US doesn't, you know, even Trump doesn't want to lose face on the world stage by the US appearing to be to weak and ineffectual because that's not how it works. It doesn't mean that Trump's a warmonger or wants to carry on fighting war, but there's we all know that diplomacy and how the world operates is very yeah. different, and it's not simple. Paul, you, you said it best on that. You know, he wants to be able to exit with, with, while saving face. I mean, if it's a deal that's being cut where the Iranians uh, make pretend that, hey, yeah, we're 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 withdrawing, and uh, they could stay there with their own uh, rebel factions or whatever type of uh, proxies they want to use, and it looks like we've withdrawn, and 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 all's well in the world. I mean, think about it. I mean, he had a meeting yesterday with Putin, and you have that that idiot, John Brennan, out there stating that this is an impeachable and treasonous. I mean, the, the level of insanity that, that they're having over here, the quote-unquote deep state, is uh, it's hilarious to see this, Paul. Well, I mean, uh, uh, what point is it treasonous? To talk to another leader because I mean, <laughs> if it if it's treasonous, right. that means Obama's committed treason because he spoke to Putin. Right. Um, if if I recall, people like he, he even said he'll be more to, flexible to Medvedev. <laughs> you know, it's I mean, but it shows it's the sheer fear. It's the fear now that you know the insanity or the level of insanity in people's comments reflects their fear. And, and their fear, I think, is less to do with the fact of, well, you know, U.S.-Russian reproachment. I mean, on a personal level, how can that possibly be a problem for them? Unless they, there's some vested reason why that becomes a problem. Now, the argument is if, if the U.S. And the, and the Russians were clearly serious adversaries, and there was no chance, you know, I mean, there was no diplomatic channels, everything was shut down, then there would be no risk of the Russians telling. I mean, because let's face it, if Trump had all the intelligence needed to take these kind of deep state operatives down, then they then then it already exists. But the fact is, it's plainly obvious they're terrified that what the Russians are going to tell Trump in terms of deep state operatives in, in the US, and that's why they're panicking. Of There's course. no other logical and, explanation for and it. And it. Let's not forget what Vladimir Putin said. The $400 million that was funneled into the Hillary Clinton campaign. A bombshell. Bombshell information there. Well, of course, I mean, we have to we have to file that under allegations because we... But I think the question is, I mean, how long... You know, let's just say for argument's sake, there's, a, there's, there's credence to this. Well, it's like I always say, Putin will, and the Russians all... Right, wait for the right moment to throw something into into the public gaze, and of course, he did it because the whole Western world and every media across the planet is going to be listening to what's being said, and they can't edit it out or pretend it was never said. Now, the question, of course, is with regards to that: if you know, if that is the case, then then what are, what are the implications for Clinton in that regard, and what uh, what's the fallout? But that was certainly a, an intentional hand grenade thrown by Putin, and of course the West will or will de will largely deny it and say there's no evidence, there's nothing to support it. But you you'd, you'd have to argue that there's going to be people out there going, well, hang on, he made this comment. We can't verify whether there's evidence to support it or these or anything to support the allegations. But what happens if he has got evidence and he's now given this to? Um, to Trump, because what's quite clear is 
I've never heard Trump make any reference to this previously. And Trump's very fond. He might not of throwing comments out when there's opportunities to do so. I mean, we saw yesterday where he was very vocal about the whole matter of the server. Where is it? And et cetera, et cetera. So he's very happy to, to vocalize these kind of issues. And he's never made any reference to this. And which suggests he would, you know, he was not aware of it. And of course, yeah, it remains to be seen what happens as a result of this. But but we've always said to 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 previously that there, there there's going to be no evidence from the Mueller investigation of any collusion between Russia and and Trump. There's no there's absolutely no evidence. But there's certainly evidence prior to this with the whole uranium one thing of of Clinton and and the Russians and. And the Obama administration, there is collusion. I think it simply comes. It simply uh, re, re, revolves around this: that the expectation is Clinton was going to win the presidential election, and then there would have then. So therefore, there was never any need to say anything. Then, obviously, uh, Trump got elected, so they had to completely spin the whole Obama administration and Clinton involvement with with Russian entities, but. Let's be clear about this. Putin's very sensible in saying, well, you're making accusations against Russians, but where's the proof that this relates to st the state itself? Because there's there's plenty of people who you could argue. I mean, he made the point about Soros saying, well, is everything Soros do? Is that is that the U.S.? Is that is he representing the U.S. as a as a state or is he just an individual? And that's a very extremely valid point. And. And equally, it's very easy to to make accusations against people who, or entities, or people in Russia, but it doesn't mean they have any collusion with the Russian state or the, the Kremlin, etc., and vice versa through Washington. But, but yeah, I think there was some hand grenades thrown out there, and it remains to be seen if, you know, if anything's going to stick as a result of it. But it was certainly timed to say these things because they knew it would have maximum effect and. Um, because of the listening audience, because often the Kremlin comes out with things and the Western media never even talks about it, never makes any reference to it. Well, they couldn't dodge that because he said it when the whole world was watching. So and that was obviously by design and intentionally to throw. And now it remains to be seen what happens. I mean, does does Trump go back and say, well, actually, you know, I, I think we need to raise an, an, an investigation into to what is what these allegations are and and it, I, I pretty much doubt that will happen. And I don't think it was necessarily intended for that. It was just maybe throwing something out there if if the allegations are true, to tell the deep state in all the cabal in the U.S. You'd be surprised what we know about you. And it's all part of the game. It's all part of just throwing things out there, watching how people react, and also in the process just putting a, you know, making them extremely nervous that. Well, if the Russians know this, if these allegations are true, what else do they know? And what else has Trump and Putin been talking about with regards to this? And that it's all part of the game. And it's all part of because the one thing is, if you terrify these people, not only are they going to make outrageous comments, but at some point. The risk is they're going to start throwing each other under the bus in a dog eat dog style because they're going to be terrified that. You know, they don't want to be the ones in the firing line. And that is, I think there's already sufficient evidence that that has gone on. But I think increasingly you will see more and more of these people 
starting to, to apportion blame elsewhere, particularly when they get more and more frazzled by what's unfolding before them. And, and clearly, this is why the whole Trump-Putin meeting is a watershed moment. And it will go down in history in the future where people will refer back and go, OK, there was this meeting, this changed the dynamic in relations between the Russians and the US. And as a result of this, all these other events unfolded. And, uh, and I think I don't doubt it, but it was it was the really first time they've had any real discussions. It's not cementing some long standing relationship where they'd already had all these plans to do X, Y and Z. It hasn't happened. And and the Russians are still very cautious in dealing with Trump and not because of Trump, but because, you know, Trump doesn't fill every office in, in, in his administration and he. And he certainly doesn't fill every position within you know, the supporting cast of the FBI and the DOJ, etc. So they have to be extremely careful, but they'll have thrown enough stuff out there to give Trump some ammunition and also to, to try and start to say, well, OK, we're very keen to, to bring and develop relations between our two nations. We know you are and, and we'll do our best to, to get the ball rolling. But ultimately, of course, it, it all comes back to the point until the deep state, the cabal's removed, it's going to make Trump's you know, job extremely difficult. And we know that. And we've known that for 18 months and longer. There was always going to be problems. But this is, I think, is a moment where we can start to have more in, you know, be more enthused and encouraged by the fact that, you know, this might be one of those big event driven scenario moments, but not from my perspective anyway. For the reasons people think it is, but I think it's more, I think it's a little bit more covert and a little bit uh, sort of different to perhaps not everyone's perspective, but some people's perspective. Uh, but I think it's a hugely important symbolic moment of uh, of a recognition that, you know, that the long term future for the US and the Russians in terms of relation can be a positive one. And let's be honest, it will benefit the whole world hugely if that happens. And ultimately, the same with the Chinese at some point. You know, whatever the differences are, whatever the problems, you know, if they can all work together, then that's going to be hugely beneficial to everyone. But, uh, but at some point, it will hugely be beneficial to the US itself, which is going to have a number of major problems to deal with internally and not just in terms of the deep state, but also all the economic problems that we've discussed before. And it, we've said it all the way along. It's far better for the US to cooperate with the Chinese and the Russians and work with them because in the long term, it will aid the US enormously in surviving what the fallout of, of the end of the Federal Reserve note and, and all the economic problems that's going to create for the US in the process. Very well said. How's this going to play with the European allies, Paul? I'm sure that's going to be very interesting. <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the, the issue is, we've said a long time ago, the European Union, as it exists now, will cease to exist. It's not, you know, it will cease to be this Brussels dictatorship where nations have no, so, well, very little sovereignty and they have to adopt all these rules and regulations via Brussels. That that will disappear. The, the Europe will integrate into um, to Russia, not the other way around. Now, the big thing is, ultimately, Trump's aim will be to neutralize effectively the military-industrial complex, 
stop having hundreds of bases around the world and wasting trillions of dollars on the benefits not a single american person the only people it benefits are the ones who who have make billions and more in terms of arms sales and everything else that you know wars very profitable to the people on the right side of the fence but it benefits not a single uh, person in any country well if my perspective on it is that the us will go we don't need these bases we don't need to be in north korea or or the korean peninsula we don't need to be in the middle east but we don't need to be in any of these places we can just defend our own nation and in the future when there's global matters that need to be dealt with we can work with the chinese and the russians we can resolve matters of terrorism and and uh, cyber terrorism and on all those problems that we've i mean we highlighted this a long time ago they're huge problems in the future and they will be long after the cabal's gone and the us can fulfill a very important function in that regard but if they scale back they're going to save all that money and the money can be then spent internally to better the us as a nation and and i think the whole point is yeah we, we said a long time ago nato's to is toast it's over it's game over and trump really stuck it to them in brussels and made that point very eloquently and of course what what happens from the europeans perspective this ties in exactly with what i said a long time ago that you will have this integration you'll have an eu army and eventually the protectorate of all that will be the russians and the russians will provide the stability in europe there won't be any need and and the us will stand back and go well we don't need to what we don't need to be there anymore there's no need like you know let the russians and the europeans manage their own soil or their own territory we'll deal with our own territory and the problems we've got but when there's global matters they'll work together to resolve them but this is precisely why trump's taking the wrecking ball to nato because he knows it serves no purpose and it and it does you know his idea that well nations should spend three and four and five percent it's a roundabout way of saying we know you're not going to do it nato's obsolete it has no future we don't need it you don't need it because in a, in a very broad sense europe can look after itself because it will have russia as effectively russia becomes what the us is to nato now in europe and the russians will be able to assist and and provide security for for the european nations and people say well this is never going to happen but you're seeing how things are unfolding that's exactly the direction we're going and it's hugely beneficial to to what trump's doing because the us spends trillions less it gets its credibility back because people go well actually it's not interested in in just having military bases all over the world and what does it do in the process it wrecks the military industrial complex destroys huge cabal entities that make massive profits because war is so profitable for them exactly right man exactly right uh china's take on what's becoming and especially the uh, the new sucro you mentioned a little bit of it in the beginning but uh detailing forward i mean how does this play in with the tariffs and all that other stuff paul well the, the problem with the whole tariffs thing is that ultimately it's no side wins in this in a tariff war but the thing is as much you know trump can say well i'm going to impose 30 billion so china goes well we'll do the same and and then Trump goes, well, I'm going to impose tariffs on another $200 billion worth of goods. And China will go, well, we'll do the same. But of course, in the end, because of the trade imbalance between the two nations, 
it's not going to be possible for China to keep putting tariffs on US goods. But what China will then do is say, well, actually, we could do other things that will hurt the US economically in the process. And make no bones about it, China will do this. And this proves exactly why there isn't some grand plan between all these nations. China will defend its interests. It's not personal, but it's not a personal affront to the US. It, it seems like that, but they're just looking after their own interests and they're not going to tolerate it. Now, of course, at some point, the realization will come home that this is pointless and, and it needs to end. And it, I'm sure at some point it will end. But the longer it carries on, it's just very damaging to the US and rather like what proved with, with Russian sanctions. The only nations who've suffered as a result of sanctions, actually, ironically, more than anyone, is the Europeans. Because Russia knew full well what uh, this was coming down the track. So they went, OK, we'll just diversify our import market. We'll, we'll have less, we'll have import substitution. We'll start to produce more goods at home and we'll find a way around the problem. And actually, economically, we've benefited from it. And China will do the same. They'll diversify their import markets. They'll actually go out and buy assets and then actually become the import market for their own imports. And they'll make money on, on both sides of the equation. And they've done that very intelligently. They can buy up assets and then supply their own internal markets and make profit from doing it. So, so it's no big, it's no skin off China's nose that this carries on. They're not going to, to lose out or financially suffer. But I mean, there is a lot of this idea, oh, China's going to crumble and fall over because of this. And it's absolute nonsense and nonsensical. And it's not beneficial to anyone. But I think it's one of those situations where, you know, it's another mistake that the Trump administration's made. I don't think long term it's going to cause massive damage between relations, particularly. The risk is, of course, it might do if it carries on. But at the moment, I think it's retrievable. But it's of no benefit to anyone. And ultimately, the US is going to, to suffer as a result of it. And there's lots of ways for China to economically damage the US, as we know, being its biggest creditor, et cetera, et cetera. And, and of course, the, the risk is, I mean, as at some point when, when we have the huge economic fallout of all this, is what, what's the repercussions for the US in the process? And I come back to the point that Really, from the US perspective, they would have been far better to already have been investing hugely in in infrastructure rebuild and trying to reindustrialize the US because in a post Federal Reserve note world with a devalued dollar, the US needs to have huge um, uh, export markets to be able to survive. It can't handle to have a huge import based economy because it'll have hyperinflation and uh, it will have major problems in that regard. So it, it, it's a very difficult balancing act, but I think it's something that how does the US now walk away? It's made in an entrenched position with regards to um, to having trade wars and tariffs with the Chinese. And that, but at some point, this has all got to end because it, otherwise it will end very ugly and it will be particularly ugly for the US. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. And speaking of that, you alluded a little bit to the inflation factor, and we're starting to witness some of that right now hitting the U.S. with recent inflation numbers. Uh, do you want to share a little bit around your thoughts on how the tariffs, how uh, these price increases, how these things will play, uh, not only with the Fed, but in inflation? How are they going to manage through that, uh, do you think, Paul? 
Well, the thing is, they can't. <laughs> I mean, the problem is, if you apply tariffs to goods, at some point, the the people who are going to suffer is is the average U.S. consumer. That the ones who buy the goods, they're going to have to pay more and more for goods. So that's going to create price inflation in of, it, in of itself. The issue's always been, I mean, inflation, whatever figures they give. You know, I, I used to do some stats quite often every year. I would get a basket of goods and say, okay, what does it cost January of this year compared to January of the next? And what? And inflation's always four, five, six percent higher than they admit. So we've always had inflationary problems, even though they try to make out inflation's two percent or whatever it might be. Of course, the biggest problem is is that if all the QE which was all inside Wall Street, spills out into Main Street, then it's going to create even more inflation in the process. And that's the big risk. So they can't create inflation or counteract inflation. I mean, it's not hyperinflation at this point, but certainly inflation's an issue. And and it, it, it sort of exemplifies the fact that there's nothing that anyone can do to avert problems. I mean, if they lower interest rates, they're screwed. And if they raise interest rates, they're screwed. They're, I mean, there's there's just no way around it. So it's a question of when. I mean, this is something just to throw out there, which is probably something, well, from my perspective, I've thought about it for a long time. As much as this idea, well, the sooner the Chinese just, you know, kill the dollar and uh, allow the gold price to, to go through the roof and, and, and you know, in the, and, and in the process, it just resets everything. I actually think the the question is, this is about timing. When is the, when is an advantageous time to do it? And the argument is, I don't think now is a good time for it to happen. I'm not saying things won't happen because it, they may do, but I don't think realistically, even from the Chinese perspective, now's the time for that to happen. I mean, there's a lot of talk. Well, everyone's been saying, well, it's, it's going to happen now. It's going to be next month. It's going to be the summer. It's going to be the autumn. I mean, no one really knows precisely when it's going to happen, but I don't, I mean, it, it's really now a question of there's so many variables that are spinning out of control in the financial system that, you know, the, the Western financial system could just implode without anybody doing anything. It's that weak and, and the banking system is very, it just lacks any stability. So there's a lot of variables that mean something could happen. But I, I'm not convinced at this point China wants things to happen at this particular point in time. And I think from their perspective, it will be better. And, you know, here's the other argument. If you want to look at it in simple terms, and this isn't that there's some grand deal between the the Chinese and, and the Russians and the U.S., but the last thing Trump needs prior to the midterms is the U.S. economy to fall off a cliff edge. And we have 2008 on steroids because no one is going to believe him that he's, it's not his fault. They're going to go, well, you told us the U.S. economy is stronger and more robust than it's, you know, than it's ever been. And now you're telling us in the next breath, oh, sorry, the, the U.S. economy's collapsed, so I don't think the Trump wants would want that that to happen before the midterm. I think he needs something that will give him the capability to to shore up the midterms and be able to have sufficient votes so he doesn't end up being compromised in you know in the Congress, the Senate, etc. Because that's going to weaken his capability enormously. So there's one reason why it's not advantageous to do this and. Anything, you know, anything that causes major political or or geopolitical or geofinancial problems is just going to seriously impact it. And that's not to say 
things can't happen or won't happen. But there's certain probably factors from the Chinese and the Russian perspective that, you know, you know, is is it really a good time for these things to happen? Now, ultimately, of course, something is going to happen and it will happen. But what I'm trying to say is there's, n there's no guarantees we could be sat here in six months and it still hasn't happened, or it could be sat here in 12 months and it hasn't happened. From my own perspective, you, you start to go, well, things are creaking very badly. How much longer can this realistically carry on? But, I mean, it's entirely possible it could do. And I'm only saying this so to manage people's expectations and don't get frustrated if things don't happen as fast as you want to. I mean, because, but ultimately they will do it. But again, it's not time driven, it's event driven. Right, absolutely correct. And we think back to uh, the most recent one-term president, we think of uh, George H.W. Bush. And in part, I believe it filed back to, what was that infamous, the, the statement, it was, it's the economy stupid, right? So. One of the things that concerns me, Paul, is when you look at the amount of hype to this economy that the media is in lockstep uh, with the administration. And, and it, it's it's sending alarm bells to me that when you hear consistently consistently throughout that GDP is going to be over 6%. We've had the lowest uh, amount of unemployed workers ever in the history of, of the last 45 years, the amount of pumping uh, to this economy and I think that's a, a potential danger that we're in. And if you factor in uh, the potential for these uh, tariffs and everything, you know, you know, backfiring at some point, you say you see inflation, you know, hedge higher where people begin to feel the effects of that. Um, there's no better way to uh, to swing an election is, is to affect people in, in their and their purses and their and their wallets. Yeah, absolutely. And that would be a bit, you know, from my perspective, yeah, absolutely. It's a concern for Trump with regards to the midterm. I'm, I mean, there's this idea that, you know, I mean, the, the fads, you know, well, you know, maybe the fads or maybe the cabal could crash the, the, the U.S. economy. Well, they've had 10 years to do that and they've done everything to stop it happening. There's nothing in their interest to do that either. I mean, because... If they do, it's game over for them. They've, they, they, they're they going to be the ultimate losers out of this. So they'll do everything to keep the, the insanity going. So I don't think they've got any vested interest to do it. I think it's one of those situations no one ultimately really has any vested interest to want to make it happen. It's just one of those things. At some point, it is going to happen, and there's going to be serious consequences. But I know everyone desperately wants the end to happen, but... I'll use this, This it's, it might sound like a cliche, but be careful what you wish for because you can wish for things to happen and then, you know, what you um, you sow, you shall reap and you, you could end up in it happening in six months down the track. People are going, I wish this had never happened the way it's happened because I'm actually in a far worse position now. And you know, I, I come back to the point from a US perspective, what concerns me is the fact that, you know, we have. I'm not. I'm not saying it's hugely, but there are there are div, quite deep divisions amongst people in the U.S. in terms of of the, this whole kind of Democrat Republican side of things, and that concerns me that we have that level of division because ultimately it's the old cliche as well that a you a you know a nation that is united they stand divided you fall, and if there's this huge division and then we have some huge economic fallout and event. What, what are the repercussions for that? It could be pretty serious, and it's not beneficial to have this level of, of division. And we know exactly why 
cabals always wanted this division and they divide people on the lines of religion, they divide people on the lines of politics. I mean, I, I just think it's hugely divisive for, for the US. I mean, we do have people with very different political views in this country, but not to that sort of extent of how how divisive it is in the US as an example. I think ultimately it's it's not going to benefit the US in the long term to have that division. Hopefully, though, if something pretty serious happens, people will forget their political alliances and realize what really matters. But my concern is they won't. And I've I've said this before, and I'm not an advocate for people not, you know, not having uh, the ability to bear arms. But my concern always comes back to the fact that during times of peace, you know, that's a great deterrent, but it ceases to become a deterrent during times of huge political and social upheaval. And that would concern me how not most people would react pretty sensibly, but it's the people who don't react and then would use those firearms because out of desperation, it ceases to become a deterrent anymore. And it, I mean, I know people disagree with me, but as I say, fundamentally, I've got no problem with people bearing arms. I mean, that's that, that, you know, that's perfectly legal and it's allowed in the US and people have every right to do it. And I support that viewpoint. But I think in extraordinary situations, that can become a problem when you factor in how div divided um, the, the American people have become since, particularly since the whole, since Trump was elected. How is that going to pan, pan out in the future as well? And these must be considerations that we think about in terms of, well, let's just push the button and get on, get on with it and make it happen. There are always going to be unintended consequences. I mean, if it was that simple, you'd just say, well, let's just get on with it. And it should have happened a long time ago. But the other point is, is that you know, from Trump's perspective, there's no doubt he's taking a wrecking ball to uh, the cabal institutions. We said that the day he was elected, and that's absolutely his primary objective, what he's trying to do. And... But, you know, in that process, if if some economic upheaval suddenly happened, does that derail his capability to handle those institutions? It, maybe it would work in some ways. Maybe it'd be very divisive in terms of his capability to do that. We can't just simplistically look at it and go, well, of course, you can just handle that situation because the fallout of this is is beyond anybody's scope of understanding. We won't have gone through this to this extent before ever in, in history. I mean, we can look back to the depression in in 29 and say, well, look how people cope then, but the world's a very different place now. It's not like it was then. And therefore it is pretty unprecedented as to what the potential fallout can be. And, and therefore we have to be very careful what we wish for, because as much as we have to go through this process, there's an argument that says, well, the less the, the the impact in the long term, the better. And, you know, maybe there's an argument, and I'm, I'm not saying this is the case, but I'm just saying this for argument's sake. It might be advantageous for that whole process not to happen now and maybe happen six months down the line because it may actually prove to be more beneficial to everyone in the long term. And we have to look at this long term. It's not short-term gain. It's a long-term benefit of, of how things unfold. and. It is highly complicated, and I don't doubt Trump's fully aware of this, and and therefore he has to pick his moments and pick his battles and how he deals with things. And it's the same with all the indictments. I don't doubt there's going to be a lot of heads will roll at some point, not just in the U.S. but 
in the Western world and beyond as a result of this. But it's a, it's an, it's a question of doing it at the right time, and so it sticks and it happens and it becomes viable and it and it works rather than just acting in haste. You know, and the old saying, "Acting haste, repent at leisure." And we don't want to see that situation. So it it is very very complicated, and I'm I'm pretty sure that from the conversations that Trump and Putin had that. That, I mean, they Putin made one interesting, very vague comment, but he talked about the economic challenges that the U.S. and and the Russia face. That's a very telling comment. That's a that, that's like one of those incendiary devices that's said in two words and largely gets forgotten. And there was a lot of those comments he made throughout um, throughout the whole sort of press conference afterwards, which were very telling. But that's an example that. Those discussions must have been had because there is an economic reality. I, you know, I don't doubt that Trump knows in reality the situation the U.S. is facing. I mean, but you know, he has to be careful because again, he doesn't want to be seen to be the person that talks the U.S. into an economic cul-de-sac and blows everything up. And it's difficult because at some point, if it happens, he's going to be accused then of, well, you 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 said all these things and and turn out not to be true. But the last thing he can really say is, well, actually, you know. The U.S. dollar is going to collapse. The banking system is going to collapse. By the way, inflation is eight percent. Unemployment, yeah, I did say it before the election. It is twenty odd percent, and and you know the country's falling flat on its face. Everyone's dumping the dollar. I mean, you just can't say that, even though it's reality. You just cannot be seen to do that. And as blunt and straightforward as Trump is, he's not going to be that blunt and straightforward because in the process he would, you know, he'd be sort of political suicide by doing it. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. Absolutely. Paul, uh, closing thoughts, and then also please share with our audience how they can learn more about you, your work. Uh, please please do so. I, would, I think closing thoughts. I said um, in the last couple of weeks that we're really, I mean, we've had a lot of interesting developments, but we're just getting to that point where developments are really going to start getting interesting, you know, on a far different level to what we've we've seen so far. And we've seen some huge changes in the last couple of years or maybe three years particularly and it's just all we do is just keep tracking those and yeah in terms of what we do obviously there's the website the seriousreport.com we've got the podcast subscription service which we deal with everything in great detail about what's what's going on what's happening and and that's the basic obviously that's the basis of of what we do. We have the, the, but we have a lot. We obviously do the shows. We've got the website with a lot of free material on it, and obviously um, we have the Twitter account. And you know, all we're trying to do is really map out what's happening. Um, I'm sorry, sometimes people don't like what we say, but we're only telling you the reality of things. We just deal with reality. I'm totally neutral about things. I don't support anything or anyone just here to say this is what's going on this is why it's happening and this is what we anticipate and expect to happen going forward and that that's all we're doing and people can make decisions based on what we say how they want to deal with things in their own life we're not here to advise people to do anything or how they would react to that but the important thing is that we get the reality of what's happening and we know we don't deal with sensationalism or superficial comment or something you know yeah, I could make a lot of great comments and we could have 10 times the audience and people would love it, but it's just not reality. And I'm not going to, to do that because for me, it's all about having integrity. 
in what we do and that's what we strive to do and we'll continue to strive to do that as long as we do this for however long that might be absolutely well i know we appreciate it at rogue i know our, our listeners do paul we always get you know great comments regarding your insights no, and we do and we do we've got a lot of great you know we uh, people who subscribed and supported us and people who do support us and we really appreciate that but we'll just keep going because to, to coin a phrase as one of my mum's uh 90 odd year old neighbors said to me only the other day she goes we just have to keep going because we that's all we uh, we know how to deal with things and that's what we do we just keep going and and we'll just keep doing our best to try and emphasize what's happening and how it's happening and why it's happening and and hopefully you know people will appreciate it and and uh, enjoy us along the way but i'm not going to say anything just to please people and and to make them feel easy about things because it's not right either it is we are in difficult times it is going to be challenging and problematic but i think the us has got a better chance than it's ever had with trump in charge and then trump's not perfect trump makes comments he makes mistakes there's no doubt about it but he at least he had the backbone to stand up and say you know what i'll take the most thankless job on this planet at the most thankless point in in u.s history but you know what i'm prepared to do it why because i really truly care about my country and the people who live there and you know what he deserves massive credit for that but yeah he'll make mistakes he'll he's not a politician and no one expected him to but and i you know i will be critical just because i'm a, a, you know that's what we have to do we have to point out mistakes but i'm not per se going to i'm not savaging trump in the process by doing it. and that's the other thing yeah, i might be critical of things people want to aspire to and believe in but i'm not it's not a personal thing it's what we're here to do we're here to point out what's actually going on in the realities and when we think the trump administration makes mistakes we have to say it because if we don't and then in the future things happen someone's going to turn around and say well why didn't you comment on that well we comment on it because we see there are mistakes and there are problems but he's got a thankless job it's the hardest job in the world he's despised by so many people in the political and in the beltway in the us but you know what he just carries on because he's got the the backbone to say do you know what i don't care what they think i don't care what they say about my family or me i'll just go carry on because ultimately any people for me have misinterpreted what making america great again is it's not to make america great at the expense of everyone else it's to make america a great nation amongst equals and that day will come eventually and and then the world will look up to the us and say you know we really value your opinion we value your input and what you're doing and that's hugely important because large parts of the world don't view the us with disdain and because they see what foreign policy has been and and that's why Trump's doing his damnedest to take the wrecking ball to all these institutions and say, I don't want this anymore. I want an end to this madness and insanity because I know ultimately how damaging it is to my nation. And uh, so, yeah, he deserves a lot of credit, but he will make mistakes. And <laughs> that's an inevitability. I think any of us trying to do his job, I think most people would have given up after two, two weeks, not still be there and facing off. And you look at what he's done in the last week. I mean, it, you know, whatever people's perspective is, he deserves huge credit and, and he must have incredibly thick skin because they've, I mean, they've personally attacked his family. They've personally done everything to, to attack him in every way. And he just turns around and goes, 
I'm just carrying on because that's what has to be done. Absolutely. Very well said, Paul. Paul, thank you for a terrific interview. Really appreciate it for our fans listening in. Uh, please like, share, subscribe, and appreciate everyone tuning in. Paul, thank you so much. It's a pleasure, and we'll catch you soon. All right. Everyone take care and enjoy your day.